This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. For more information, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. From the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School, this is Knowledge at Wharton on Business Radio. Here's your host, Dan Loney. There is a growing issue within the Affordable Care Act. The group of alternative health insurers created under the health law to produce competition and make coverage less expensive is getting smaller as some of those companies are shutting down. And this is also providing fewer choices going forward. And one of the reasons why many people believe that health care through the ACA uh, costs are going to be on the rise. To take a look at the effect of this, we're joined here in the studio by Bob Town and Scott Harrington, who are professors at Wharton's Health Management Department. But first, we are joined on the phone by Reed Abelson, who is a reporter for The New York Times, who is covering this story right now. Reed, thanks very much for coming on for a few minutes. Thank you for having me. Great to have you. Uh, so how many of, of these co-ops have shut down at this point? Well, at the moment, um, there have been nine um, shut down, and I wouldn't be shocked if we saw a couple more uh, shut down um, before open enrollment starts. How many, how many are still up and running at this point? Um, Fourteen. Fourteen out of the original. So about a little more than a third have yeah. now bitten the dust. And with these co-ops that have shut down at this point, how many uh, people uh, ballpark does that affect uh, uh, with those nine shutting down? Um, 500,000. So um, a fair chunk of, of the folks who've enrolled. So this is obviously, this is a big change for, for these people right now, especially as we get into the season uh, of having to make those uh, those choices for your health care. Yes, and it's particularly um, having an impact in rural areas, which have had a hard time attracting uh, enough carriers to have competition. So what are the states that, that have lost their co-ops in the, in the last uh, little while? Well, I mean, the more, most recently, um, it you know, New York shut down, Colorado shut down, or is shutting down Kentucky, South Carolina. Um, and many of these are, are the very large, largest. New York, for example, was the largest co-op in the nation. Right. But, but they, they are probably, the, at least right now, the, uh, the exception rather than the rule right. with some of the other states that you mentioned. Yes, um, although a lot of those were, were sizable competitors. Um, you know, it, one of the things that's somewhat surprising is that uh, it wasn't just the small um, co-ops that never got off the ground. Some of these co-ops had, you know, significant numbers of members, um, but because of the losses, you know, really couldn't continue. And they also had, uh, from what I'm reading, uh, uh, the the money that uh, came yes. from them to get started was federal money, correct? Yes. Um, not as much as they had originally uh, been allocated. And then um, there were various uh, decisions by Congress um, uh, to sort of restrict some of the funding and so in the end, um, you know, many of these simply just didn't have enough money to continue. And it also comes at a time where we're starting to see quite a bit of consolidation within the healthcare sector just in general. Yes. I mean, you're seeing uh, the largest uh, for-profit insurers com- uh, trying to combine, and they need to get regulatory approval. But you're seeing Anthem and Aetna uh, both uh, attempting to buy their smaller rivals. So the bigger getting bigger and some of the new entrants seem to be disappearing. And as you kind of alluded to a second ago, this seems to be, and it has been really since the Affordable Care Act has been brought up, uh, it is a hot-button topic on on, uh, Capitol Hill. 
yes, yes. Obviously, the Republicans are uh, um, believe the administration hasn't handled the program well. Um, you know, the Democrats argue that some of the, the steps taken by uh, the Republicans in Congress have really sabotaged the program, in the words of um, the former Senator Kent Conrad, who is the North uh, Dakota Democrat who um, actually proposed the idea. What do you see uh, in covering this now for a while? What do you see as kind of the future of co-ops going forward with, as you said, about a third of them um, knocked out here in the last uh, in the last little while? I think there will be some, you know, I, I think there will be some who will succeed. But, um, you know, you have to step back and wonder whether the whole notion of, of a co-op, um, you know, as an alternative insurer is, is going to succeed, whether the, you know, uh, and if they're only in a sort of a minority of states, it's hard to uh, see um, whether or not they're going to have the hope for influence that the administration and others thought they might have. So for the consumers that, that are in these states that, that were with co-ops and, and lost them, uh, the options, obviously, as I mentioned at the top, have been pared down. What, what basically are the options? And, the, and obviously those options have to be really moved on in a fairly quick fashion. Well, Sure. I mean, it depends on the state. And, and, and as we talked about in terms of Kentucky, for example, there are some of the large insurers that moved in this year to the market that hadn't been there before. So um, what I would say is generally there are some places where you really are, you know, in Nevada, for example, you're really going to face fewer choices. And then otherwise, you're going to be looking at sort of, you know, many of the established uh, insurers, um, uh, whether you know the big insurers, whether it's Anthem or United Health Group. I was going to ask you if you think that this will change the philosophy on some of these uh, bigger companies in some of these states where maybe they didn't have as big a presence in the past, that maybe they will start to push into other states because the co-op has dropped out. Well, it may not be because the co-op dropped out, but as the market stabilizes, the co-ops weren't able to sort of last long enough to see whether the market can could become stable. But I think the large insurers are seeing, you know, are more able to predict what's going to happen and therefore can come in later um, and not have as much risk as, as the co-ops took on. Reid, I greatly appreciate you a few minutes. Uh, congratulations on the work. Thank you very much for Thank coming you. on. You got it. Reed Abelson, who's a reporter for The New York Times, as you mentioned, she among uh, a variety of reporters for The Times that are covering uh, this topic in the healthcare sector as well. Uh, as we mentioned, uh, Bob Town, Scott Harrington join us here in studio. Jim, uh, I'll start with you. I mean, the, the numbers being cut down in, in recent uh, fashion, what is going to be the, at least the short term effect of this happening in these variety of states? In the states where fairly large co-ops have gone down, you're going to have short-term disruption because a lot of people will have to find new coverage. Now, as, as Reed Abelson indicated, it'll depend a lot on the state and maybe rural versus urban. But under the new system, we have the open enrollment period, and given especially the recent announcements, people will be able to go through the normal portals and basically pick a new insurance company. What will be interesting is to see how much of an impact there is on the premiums they may face. And this gets pretty weedy and complicated. To, to some extent, these co-ops were losing money. They yep. weren't charging enough premiums to be sustainable. So if you take out the money losers, you would expect people will have to pay more because they need to pay enough to keep keep their insurance company in the game. Um, but you'll also get the issue is some of the co-ops were the lowest priced in a state. Yep. And as a result, if they drop out, it's going to change the way the subsidies are calculated by altering 
what's the second lowest cost plan and how much money then is available through tax credits. So there'll be a few surprises for people that face higher premiums just because they're getting a new company, but also some people may see that their premium tax credits from the federal government will decline. Bob? Yeah, no, I, I absolutely agree with what Scott said. I mean, the the in most places, I think their share was not very large. And so mm-hmm. most places, people are not going to face big disruptions. And other firms are going to step in if it makes sense for them to step in um, if there's enough share to gather, you know, gain by entering the marketplace. But, you know, the impact on premiums is going to be um, pretty complicated and actually may be kind of negative for the reasons that Scott said. And in and, and many places, the co-ops weren't very effective competitors. Mm-hmm. So their impact on the competitive uh, environment is probably pretty modest in most places. In reading up on this uh, yesterday, I guess Maine was one of the states where actually I guess it, it had worked fairly well. Uh, and, and one of the things that was written about that is the fact that uh, I guess Maine was was really running this operation not relying on, on any assistance from the federal government. And I guess maybe is that a, a factor where maybe we will see more co-ops try and, and really uh, take it from that approach going forward so that they can be you know, uh, more fiscally responsible? Well, Maine did report a profit for 2014, and they basically were not reporting that they needed a lot of revenue or were going to request a lot of revenue from the federal government under some complicated risk-sharing programs. They decided to expand into New Hampshire, given their success, and they had a major market share in Maine. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, in the case of Maine, now the first six months of this year, 2015, they had a very large negative cash flow and an operating loss. Now, my guess is a lot of that reflects their expansion and the additional costs for moving into a new state. But it is true that they were not as dependent so far on additional money forthcoming through the Affordable Care Act risk-sharing programs as some of the other co-ops that failed. I think we also need to be aware, though, that like all the co-ops, the main co-op is deeply in the hole if yep. you add up what they owe to the federal government along with their other liabilities and compare it to their assets. So it's for them to really make a go of it, they need to start generating consistent profitability and slowly be able to chip away at what they owe the feds over a fairly extensive period of time. And, and kind of the other interesting thing is when you think about the state of Maine, their market share may have been very good, but realistically, how many people are we talking about? Because it is a a rural and it is a smaller state to begin with. Uh, when you think about, you know, comparing Maine to, say, maybe New York, you know, even though that co-op, you know, did not do well, you're talking about probably a lot more people in New York than you would have been in the state of Maine. Yeah, the New York co-op was was the largest plan on the exchange in, in New York, and now it's it's no longer there. So so it had a huge share. Yeah, uh, and that's a, that's the notable exit really here. That that's really going to impact a lot of people. We've seen obviously this is uh, you know in part been a, quite a a hot topic on on Capitol Hill uh, with the fact that we have seen these these uh, co-ops go by the board in some of these states. Seemingly, this is going to continue to be a, a hot button topic. What potentially does Congress need to address, you know, going forward with these? Well, you know, I'm not sure this was the the best conceived idea that that the Congress has ever had. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it was kind of a political compromise. They, they had the co-op idea as kind of a substitute for having a federally sponsored health plan. Um, you know, so, so it's kind of cobbled together and it's not necessarily uh, thought out that well. And the financing and the incentives of the co-op are not necessarily the most aligned for success. Um, that being said, if you were a venture capitalist and you, you know, 
venture you've invested in 23 companies and you know 10 of them did well you'd be happy with that and you know we're kind of you know we might be in that situation at the end of the day Scott? Dan, I just thought I'd just highlight a couple of things, give people an idea of how big the things are. In yeah. New York, the co-op had uh, over 200,000 enrollees at the time it announced it would close. In Colorado, it was eighty to 90,000. South Carolina was 70,000. Maine, although it's a small state, had a big market share. It was reporting over 60,000 enrollees. Yeah. So um, small numbers relative to the entire size of the national market, but a lot of people are affected. <laughs> As far as what Congress can do, I think I think uh, probably they should just sit tight and do nothing on mm-hmm. this and see how this plays out. I don't think we want to be in the business of providing more money to companies that don't don't appear to sure. be sustainable. That could get us into trouble. And I think we need to be aware too. People should be aware that regarding the funding, there were restrictions on funding that were enacted after the law was initially passed. Yeah. A good part of the restriction kept the government from funding co-ops in more states. So I think it's at least plausible if the money had been there, we would have had more co-ops, but there's no guarantee we wouldn't have had more financially weak co-ops. Right. The other thing is if, if you start providing more money in some way, we really have to worry about just providing additional runway for companies to accumulate even greater losses unless it really appears they have good prospects to become sustainable. So with the case of Maine moving into New Hampshire, uh, and and give me the background on the policies, obviously there's there was no set in stone rule where one state could go into another state. Should there maybe have been that rule to kind of eliminate that potential? I think when the, uh, when the co-ops were, were being uh, kind of written out on the on the chalkboard i think the vision was that some would be multi-state some would yep. be you know successful and the successful well-managed ones would expand and and you know they would have you know provide another uh, form of competition to the more established insurers out there you know and and that may happen to a limited extent but it, it's this kind of movement was kind of envisioned when the, the aca was kind of written up scott Given Maine's success the first year, I think it seems to, at least on the surface, be quite sensible for them to think about going into another state where mm-hmm. there may not have been a lot of competition, where they thought they had some comparative advantage. And on the other hand, the first co-op to go down had a very large market share in Iowa. It's Co-Opportunity Health. It was a, a liquidation proceedings began earlier this year. They had also operated in Nebraska, so you've got lots of policyholders sure. that had to switch coverage in those two states. My understanding, the Montana co-op, if anybody cares, was um, – did. Ex- <laughs> oh, we've got listeners up there, so they care. <laughs> well, beautiful country. Uh, they expanded into Idaho and, and sort of uh, – Backroom discussions, some of my sources have told me that there's significant expertise there and they seem to be doing well, but mm-hmm. time will tell how, whether or not they'll actually be able to thrive in those markets. And, and it's really just based uh, a lot of those expansions on the number of people that may be in the particular area. Like, you know, in the case of Maine with being 60,000 compared to New York being 200,000, expanding into New Hampshire from a, a number standpoint may not be an issue. Like, you know, if you know whether it be Massachusetts or Connecticut, if they involved Rhode Island, because it's kind of a natural fit to be able to do that. So, is that kind of the you know, the 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 push we may see even further with this, or like you said, is it time just to step back and and let these play out for a year or so? I think we should let them play out, uh, as Reed Abelson from the Times indicated. There probably will be more announcements relatively soon. 
I think it's an open question whether a year from now we'll have more than three or four mm-hmm. left. You know, maybe we will, but I think it's possible it'll go down to about that number. And regulators are really on top of this at this point. Insurance regulators are paying very close attention to the financial condition of these companies, and they're going to be very reluctant, given the track record to date, to allow companies to expand unless they feel they really have some capital resources that will allow them to uh, to make it. Because in part, if these companies go under, it does risk assessments against surviving health insurers through state guarantee systems. And yeah. so there's a lot of pressure from existing insurance companies on regulators to basically make sure that the exist the surviving insurance companies don't have to start picking up some of the tab for claims that insolvent co-ops have run up, let alone the fact that the government's going to be left with a pretty large loss on this. So for, from what you're uh, uh, gleaming from some of these states that have lost co-ops, what has been the reaction to these co-ops closing by the other major insurance companies at this point? They obviously will be able to pick up you know whatever uh, potential customers are, are in that state, some states bigger than, than others. It varies a lot by state. There has been, in Iowa, for example, there has been entry by a large Blue Cross Blue Shield entity, which will pick up quite a bit of the slack. The other states, some of the companies are a little worried. They're a little worried that the customers they may get from co-ops might not have the same health po- health posture and might mm-hmm. be inconsistent with the way that they've priced. I think others, though, are viewing it as an opportunity that they've priced their business, they believe appropriately, and if they get a bigger flow of customers in, it will help them, and mm-hmm. and it will be readily digestible. November 1st is uh, the day when uh, uh, people will be able to sign up and, and get going with this year for the Affordable Care Act. Uh, in terms of the changes that, that have kind of uh, been put in place, what do we, what do we see happening, and, and what's the effect on the consumer in general? Well, uh, healthcare.gov has been updated. Uh, a little slicker. Um, there's uh, more calculator-like uh, tools built into the to the website, so consumers can um, type in a little bit of information, and it will um, spit out a, an estimate of how much you would spend in each plan. Um, you know, in my looking at it, it's a little bit crude relative to the state of the art, but it's an improvement over uh, the previous years. Scott, I won't comment on healthcare. Gov per se, but there has been a lot of debate lately about projections that have been made about growth in the number of people that buy coverage. And the government basically has projected very modest increases in enrollment. Yeah. That's led to some concern that we won't get enough additional relatively healthy people into the pool the next year or two. And as a result, there could be further upward pressure on premiums. A lot of the smaller health insurers, too, are really quite worried about the expiration of some of the stabilization programs that were included in the Affordable Care Act. There are temporary programs that have been helping to basically subsidize new coverage, Mm -hmm. and those are going to expire after 2016. So given the projected flat enrollment and the expiration of those programs, there's still a lot of uncertainty about what will happen in the next year and a half. Some people have thought that the government is being very cautious in their projections because they'd rather hit the target than not hit the target. And I don't know to what extent that's true, but I guess as of now, it would appear that the enrollment at the end of 2016 will be substantially less than what had initially been forecast by the Congressional Budget Office when the law was evaluated. So we've still got a lot of uh, of room to grow potentially with this, but the question is: is that again, 
what is we're going into 2016 uh, we have certain known quantities where the Affordable Care Act is concerned, but it seems like this is still really a, a policy that remains in flux probably going forward, thinking 2017, 2018 a, as we move forward. Absolutely. the, the uh, A number of states, I think, are going to roll up their own state-based exchange into the federal exchange. They're going to find it you know too costly to operate their own, yeah. their own exchange for the number of enrollees they're going to have. So I think you're going to see um, a number of states kind of roll up into to healthcare.gov and, you know, maybe have a handful of states run their own exchanges, the bigger states. Scott? It'll be very interesting to see what happens a year from now because there is some risk that there will be substantial upward pressure on premium rates when the rates are filed next summer. Yeah. And if so, if you really see across the board large double-digit increase, the issue is going to get a lot of attention politically with the presidential election and so on. But there have been these forecasts of gloom and doom for a couple of years now, and they often haven't been correct. So I would just describe the situation is highly uncertain. I really think it'll take to 2017 and 2018 if the law doesn't change before we have a pretty good handle on whether things have stabilized. And there's no guarantee that there won't be some changes in the law, significant changes in the law within that framework, depending on the outcome of the congressional and presidential elections. But it is interesting that we're already seeing some of those articles pop up about the costs uh, tied to the uh, Affordable Care Act going into 2016, and that it is it is really all it, it may be the number one thing that's being put out there a, as an important piece to for people to understand going into 2016. Yeah, absolutely. The, you know the the you know there's always been a fight over what the premiums are and what the impact on premiums uh, that the ACA has. I think you know to date. It's been pretty positive for the consumer. The premiums have come in a little bit lower than, than people uh, generally thought they would. Um, but, you know, there's a lot of subsidies underlying that. And as yeah. those subsidies um, start to roll off and the rules start to change, that's going to change the dynamic in the marketplace. And that's going to have a different outcome from consumers. What that outcome is going to be, it's a little uncertain, as Scott was saying. You know, premiums could kind of stabilize going out or, you know, they could take off. Is there any way to gauge at this point, or, you know, where – those prices could be headed, or, or do we need to, as you said, we need to get through 2016 to really kind of get a better handle on where this is going to go over the next, you know, 2017, 2018, 2019, or, you know, if we have those changes? I think we'll learn a lot the next 18 months, but I'm thinking that in terms of the market really stabilizing where things are far more predictable, it will be in the 2017 and 2018. I mean, right now, the preliminary reports for rate increases for 2016, it varies so much across company and across states. You're getting some states where the average increase is very large, 25, 30%, other states where it's minimal, the weighted average increase is relatively small. So you'll have enough information out there that'll kind of feed both sides of the debate. You'll have people saying that the rate increases are tremendous and as a result the law is not working. Then you have others that say overall it's not that bad. Mm -hmm. Basically there's a lot of volatility and it'll take time before things really start to stabilize. Do the insurance companies have a better handle on on what to expect now going into 2016 than they did a year ago? Yeah, I think they now have enough claims experience to kind of understand who these enrollees are, yeah. what their healthcare utilization is going to be, kind of with overall what their risk uh, pool is like. Um, that could change a bit, but it's starting to stabilize. So I think they're understanding their costs much, much better now, um, which means that that premium volatility will be down. For more business news and analysis from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.